Welcome back. It's Chase and Josh with Factor Fantasy. That's Chase and I am Josh, and we're here to give you episode six in House of the Dragon today. Chase took us through episode five last week. A lot of huge moments there. I will be guiding us through episode six here today. Very excited to do so, and we kind of mentioned it. There's a lot of changes in the casting area, and so we're going to find out you know, a little bit about new new actresses and actors playing on roles of characters that we've gotten to know through the past five episodes. We're going to take a look into that and all the other good stuff that comes along with episode six here today. So before I get started, I'll turn the floor to Chase to say a few words and then I'll dive into it. Yeah, man, still on the up and up. I got some badass dragons in this one. (laughs) That's what I'll say with that. But uh, with that, I'll let you go ahead and take it away. Let's get it going. Sounds like a plan, dude. I'll, I'll put my glass up to you. We'll, we'll cheers here, and then I'll jump right on in. Cheers, brother. Cool. All right, so to start off episode six, I the first thing I noted was like the episode opens with Rhaenyra giving birth, but the actress has changed. You can tell she's a much older Rhaenyra, and we do learn that there has been a 10-year time jump between episode five and episode six. And we're going to see a few actors and actresses who were late teens and they have now changed based on the time jump. But in any event, Rhaenyra gives birth to a baby boy. And as you know, she's holding this child that was just birthed minutes ago, she has summoned the baby. So the queen, Allison, has summoned the baby to be brought before her. And instead of giving the baby to a wet nurse or anything that makes sense, she was very nervous, Rhaenyra was, and decided, you know what, no, I'm going to bring this baby myself, and, you know, this is kind of ridiculous, so she actually has, you know, that afterbirth moment where things are still kind of spilling out of places, and she should be on bed rest, but instead, because the queen summoned her, not her specifically, but the baby, she's like, no, like, I'm going to be brought there, she doesn't trust her, long story short. At any, at any event, Lenor comes in, and his actor has changed too. And he helps escort Rhaenyra to the queen. And this is kind of cool too. This is going to come into play more towards the last couple episodes of House of the Dragon in season one. But I want you guys to remember this gentleman as they're walking up the stairs. From the side, a gentleman named Lord Caswell offers his congratulations to Rhaenyra and Lenor, And he says, If I may be of any service. In which Rhaenyra replies, The day may yet come, my lord. And the reason I highlighted this moment is because of what happens to Lord Caswell near the end of the season. I think that it's easy to miss this guy just in that moment, but he uh, does come into play just a little bit later on. Now, after like a long struggle of walking up these darn stairs, they approach the Queen's chambers, and the Queen's chambers are guarded by none other than Sir Kristen Cole, the guy who ruined the wedding 10 years ago. Uh, they enter the Queen's chambers, and Allison is acting all nice, and the king comes in and sees his new grandson. And uh, Lenor decides to take it upon himself to name the boy Joffrey. Now, to me, I don't know, I'll ask you the same thing, Chase. Do you think that was an homage to his, his side piece from 10 years ago who died at the wedding, uh, Sir Joffrey Lonmouth? Like, do you think that that is what they, he named him after? Absolutely. I think that's exactly what this was. I think it was homage to him. Um, and then, you know, Harwin and Lenor here both know exactly what's going on. <laughs> so they're they're both cool with the situation. But I kind of wish, you know, Lenor would have passed Kristen Cole in the hallway there so we could kind of see their reaction. But, yeah, to answer your question, I think, I, I think it is. Okay, cool. I, I agree. I think that was a little nod to it. And it's easy to miss, too, like the quick name and, you know, who we, who we lost – 10 years ago at that wedding was Sir Jeffrey or Joffrey Lonmouth, who was known as the Knight of Kisses. But anyways, in, in my mind, this whole thing of Allison summoning the baby to be brought before her, it was a whole spectacle. And, and it was basically it was for Allison to say without saying that none of the babies are Lenors because Allison says to Lenor, do keep trying, Sir Lenor. Sooner or late, you may get one who looks like you. So that was kind of the whole deal. I think she wanted to see if this baby is actually a true-born Valarian or not, because it seems that she's making accusations of some sort, which will come into play really big in this episode specifically. So they go back to their quarters, and we see Sir Harwin Strong and her two other children, who look suspiciously like Sir Harwin Strong. 
In any event, Harwin asks to hold the new baby Joffrey, and we see like the love in his eyes, so we know something's going on here. At which point, the scene then moves to the dragon pit. And these dragon keepers bring out like a mid-sized dragon, and it's almost like an adolescent type deal. So you almost get that vibe that it's meant for the younger boys, and, and in fact it is. That dragon that they pull out, his name is Vermax. And they are presenting Vermax to Jaceris, which is the oldest of the sons. So we got Jaceris is the oldest of, I would say, Rhaenyra and Laenor's, you know, quote-unquote, children. Jaceris <laughs> uh, is the oldest, then there's Lucerys, and there's Joffrey, obviously, who's just born today. So, uh, anyways, Jaceris and Lucerys are down in the dragon pit. They are accompanied by Aegon and Aemond, which are the children from King Viserys and Alicent. And anyways, like I said, they bring Vermax to Ceres, and we also learn that Aegon, he has a dragon too, and, and Aegon's dragon's name is Sunfire, and that he has a good level of mastery over Sunfire. But anyways, the, the dragon keeper, he's speaking in, in High Valyrian, or I guess Low Valyrian at this point, and he's having someone translate back and forth for the boys because they don't speak Valyrian. He basically says, Once they are fully bound to you, they will refuse to take instruction from any other. Which I found very curious. You know, because there's a couple instances where maybe that's not necessarily accurate, where uh, dragons had previous owners, and then, you know, they, in fact, do sometimes take instruction from others. And, you know, and I see that in a couple of ways, not just a big one that people are probably thinking about, but also at the very, very end of the very last episode. And I just give a little teaser there. But anyways, uh, Jace tells Vermax Dracarys to have Vermax shoot the flames out, burn the sheep, and eat it. And they have that really cool moment, and it looks really sick on scene. Like, this thing, it looks like an overgrown lizard at this point that has wings. It's really, really interesting. Very reminiscent of the growth of the dragons for Rhaegal, Viserion, and Drogon back in the original Game of Thrones. It really reminded me of those, like, teenage dragon ones before they grew into their full potential. Now, at this point, the kids turn their attention to Aemond. And I did write down this dialogue because I do find it's very, very important. Aegon says to Aemond, he says, Aemond. We have a surprise for you. And Naaman asks, what is it? And Lucerys says something very special. And Aegon looks at Aemon, he says, you're the only one of us without a dragon. And Aemon says, indeed. And Aegon says, and we felt badly about it. So we found one for you. And Aemon looks at him and says, a dragon, how? And Aegon says, the gods provide. And out of the darkness <laughs> and running out of the tunnel, is Lucerus with a large pig with wings strapped onto it, and all three of them at the same time say, Behold the pink dread. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Dude, Fantastic. What, what a dickhead moment from these boys picking on Aemon because he's the only one without a dragon at this point, and he probably already feels bad about it enough as it is without his you know, brother and then his first cousins picking on his ass. You know, he, you know, obviously it does affect him because we're going to see what happens kind of immediately after this. And then, honestly, I think it's a, a running theme throughout the rest of the episodes in this first season of House of the Dragon. So, anyways, they all laugh at Aemon, make him feel really bad. And Aegon says before they all kind of walk out, is like, be sure to mount her carefully. The first flight's always rough. And then uh, we can tell that Aemon is, is pissed and kind of hurt about the situation. I mean, what did you think about the, that, that scene? Did you think it was kind of fucked up? Did you think it was funny? Like, what did you think? Oh, yeah. I think it was so funny, too, that they named it the Pink Dread after, like, Beleriand, <laughs> the Dread. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, man, it's... Uh, I. What's funny is a lot of people look over the scene, but the scene plays a very pivotal role in Eamon's character development. And it, you kind of see full circle moments to this uh, as a frequent... Um, repeat theming <laughs> throughout the show so and with that I'll turn it back to you brother for sure and so you can tell like I said Eamon is pissed to hurt and so he walks down that tunnel into where all the dragons are held and he gets he goes to get close to one of the larger dragons and it starts growling and almost as a warning like hey back the fuck up and then it ends up breathing fire shooting at the ceiling and it looks really cool the flames flowing over the ceiling like that and like I said it was a warning telling Eamon he needs to get out of there. That, that dragon is not going to take any sort of instruction from Eamon. So at that point in time, the scene moves to Allison, and she is talking with her daughter, Helena, and Eamon is brought to her after the dragon pit incident. And she scolds him and, you know, because he is putting his life in danger trying to get one of these dragons, and 
you know, he tells her about what the boys did to him, about the whole pig deal. And Allison says to Amond, and this is a big ass foreshadow, I love this. She goes, You will have a dragon one day. I know it. Well, will he fucking ever? Yes, he will. So I will say that, man. That is a huge ass foreshadow about Amon ending up getting a dragon one day. And yeah, that's all I'll say for now. Anyways, at that point in time, the scene moves, and Allison is snitching to Viserys about the mean trick. The kids pulled on Aemon, and he's, she's trying to put the blame on Jaceris and Lucerus, and Viserys is like, hey, are we sure it wasn't like our Aegon's idea? And, you know, it's just really interesting how you can see that there is a big split in the family here. Nothing's ever been the same since that wedding ten years ago, and I'll say that. But at this point, Alicent and Viserys are in the conversation, and I found this super important because... It's almost like an accusation that she is hinting towards but can't say because Viserys is the king. She talks about, this is about Viserys and Lucerys. She goes, it's a wonder to me that their eggs ever hatched. And Viserys asks her, and why is that? To which Allison replies, you know why. Viserys says, I'm afraid I don't. And Allison says, don't. Viserys. And Viserys asks the person who's creating the stone figures to pick back up in the afternoon, which will leave Viserys and Allison alone in this room to kind of have this conversation. And Allison says, I have raised this matter before, and you forbade me to speak of it, so I held my tongue. To have one child like that is a mistake. To have three is an insult. An insult to the throne, to you, to House Valarian, and the match you battled so hard to make for her not to mention decency itself. Then Viserys goes into this long little story about how he had a horse that mated with a different color horse and the you know foal came out looking different than either of the parents. You know, so it was like a silver stallion matched with a black stallion that came out chestnut brown. This whole thing basically to say that nature's tricky, you never know what the babies are gonna look like. You know, it's, it's genetics are unpredictable. And and at that point, he, he mentions to her, Viserys to Allison, says, The consequences of an allegation like the one you toy at would be dire. Do not speak of this again. And then the scene shifts, and Allison's walking with Chris and Cole, and immediately defies Viserys' order of not speaking it again, and goes into a tirade and tells Chris and Cole all about it. <laughs> so she, goes, she expresses her frustrations about Rhaenyra having children followed by someone who's not her husband. And obviously her husband is Laenor Valarian, but... You know, it doesn't look like any of those. Those children do not look like him. And that's what we'll say here. But then Allison says, uh, and this is, I think this is an interesting key because we mentioned this a few times. It's hard I, it's hard to root for a side because both of them make so many poor choices. And, in, in, you know, it, it, this is one of the things that she says, I think you would like to believe her, but I don't think it holds true. She says, I have to believe that in the end, honor and decency will prevail. Well, there's honor and decency, Allison. There's a lot of shit that you've been doing that's not been honorable or decent. So I don't know like, what you're sitting there trying to take the high and mighty road, girl. But anyways, uh, we move to this really weird-ass scene of Aegon pleasuring himself naked in the open window. It was just a strange and random moment because it, it had nothing to do with the, the setting the scene or anything. The o- I think the <laughs> only... fucking weird. Yeah, the only thing I could maybe correlate it to is it kind of shows that Aegon has these these desires and urges and maybe that plays into his character later on where you find him messing around in, in flea bottom a lot and i'll say that like that's the only thing i could i could see that could maybe be a correlation to it but outside of that it just seemed like a very strange and random moment anyways allison walks in on him and he like jumps down to his bed like curls himself <laughs> up from being naked or whatever and anyways she asked him who came up with the idea of picking on aemon with the pig and this is a conversation between the two because this is super important for the realms aspect later on Allison says to Aegon, he goes, Aemond is your brother. And Aegon responds, well, he's a twat. <laughs> and then Allison says, we are family. You may cuff him about as you wish at home, but in the world, we must defend our own. And Aegon says, it was funny. To which Allison replies, do you think Rhaenyra's sons will be your playthings forever? As things stand, Rhaenyra will ascend the throne, and Jaceris Targaryen will be her heir. Aegon says, so? And Alicent responds. She's starting to get a little frustrated. She says, you are nearly a man grown. How is it that you can be so short-sighted? If Rhaenyra comes into power, your very life could be forfeit. Aemon's as well. She could move to cut off any challenge to her succession. And 
Aegon's like, well, then I won't challenge. And then Alicent cuts him off, screaming, you are the challenge. You are the challenge, Aegon. Simply by living and breathing. You are the king's firstborn son. And what they know, what everyone in the realm knows, in their blood and in their bones, is that one day you will be our king. And at this point, the scene moves. And we've got Daemon flying on Caraxes over water. And Lena Valarian flying on Vagar. Really cool scene. I thought this was really sick because... Lena uh, like shouts to Vagar and says, Jakar's and they she he or, or I'm sorry, because Vagar is a female dragon. She blows fire into the air, almost like in a fireball formation. And then Damon, Damon flies right through it with Caraxes and coming out the other side, like the flames in the background. It was really fucking cool on it just looked really, really interesting on on, on uh, screen. So if you guys didn't take a chance to really soak that in, go back and watch that. I thought that was cool. What did you think about that? fucking badass man i mean kind of i thought like why would you do that because what if damon burned alive <laughs> right there through the fire but no it was badass man it was really cool it was in vagar damn that thing's a behemoth <laughs> that was insane uh side note vagar was passed down uh it was originally written by Aegon's sister who also wielded Dark Sister. So interesting, full circle moment. Dark Sister was passed down. Damon eventually got Dark Sister the sword. And then Vagar was passed down. And Lena uh, Valarian is now the writer of Vagar. So interesting moment there. But back to you. For sure. And so this whole thing of them arriving, they're having this dinner in Pentos. And we see that Damon and Lena in these past 10 years have had two daughters. So this whole thing that we were talking about last week of Damon possibly maneuvering his way to up his stance in life, he had killed Rhea Royce, and now he was free without any marital ties to marry Lena Valarian, which is a big step up in like the second most powerful house, and then we'll see like maybe what happens. <laughs> you know, Damon's always kind of maneuvering, and that's all I'm trying to say here for right now. And then during this dinner, the Prince of Pentos, his name is Prince Reggio. He offers a deal to Damon and Lena where he offers them permanent residence with the mansion that they're in right now. He said, you can have it outright. All the farms, all the lands, and the people residing in the lands would pay taxes to them. And all that they want is, is, is help for their fight against lease. Because we learned that the Triarchy has made common cause with Corin Martell of Dorne. This is really cool because we're starting to see more and more of these houses that we've come to know in Game of Thrones come about here you know 172 years prior or whatever it would be at this point since we're 10 something years on the road it's probably more closer to 155 years or whatever it may be but regardless uh it, it's still really cool that we're starting to really have these big household names that we remember the, these last names that were houses that were powerhouse houses in game of thrones still referenced here in, in house of the dragon anyways lena tries to tell the prince of pentos that they are only travelers but Damon cuts her off and says that they were going to entertain the offer. And it kind of pisses her off. So they go off onto their own after the dinner. And, you know, Lena walks in and they have a little back and forth. And, you know, Damon, what he tells you, he likes the idea of the simplicity with all, all the politics and stuff. It's very straightforward. So that he doesn't have to do all this planning. He's like, this is a simple transaction of goods and services. We provide them our strength. They give us gold. It's very easy. I don't have to do all this stupid fucking politicking. I don't have to, you know, worry about this red tape I've got to cut on. I can't do this or I can't do that because it's going to affect this. Like, no, you give me this. I do this. It's done easy in the bag and that's it. But, like, Lena tells him that pretty much, you know, you're better than that. <laughs> like, you know, that's almost like a glorified mercenary, right? But uh, she also tells Damon that she wants their new child, the one that she's pregnant with, to be born on Driftmark. And she wants the daughters that they already have to be raised there too. And this is a little bit of a foreshadow. She also mentions that she wants to die a dragon rider's death. So this is kind of cool there. But anyways, at this point, the scene shifts to the training yard where all the princes are practicing with swords on straw dummies. And they are having, it seems like a little bit of fun, a little bit of competition here at first, the very, very initial scene here. But then... We start to see Aegon is getting arrogant because he disarmed his opponent or whatever before what we saw come on screen. And so Kristen Cole, our boy here, he just, uh, he gets, Aegon gets very arrogant to the point where Kristen Cole steps in and makes him 
and his brother Eamon try to fight himself, Chris and Cole, two on one, and he teaches them a lesson. Like, they think they're badass, they think they're fucking in the shit, but Chris and Cole made it look so stupid, they couldn't even touch him. And he was even doing stuff like smacking their behinds with the with the pad, like like they, like like you said, like you know, sometimes you gotta teach the children a lesson and let them know that they uh, they though they may think they're somebody, they yeah they haven't gotten there yet. So, anyways, at this point, Sir Harwin suggests that Chris and Cole gives attention to Jaceris and Luceris as well. To which Chris and Cole is kind of a dick about it. He's like, oh cool, all right, you want you want me to go ahead and do this? Like fine, I'll I'll, I'll do it your way, no problem. And then he ends up putting. Aegon up against Jaceris, and Aegon is eight years older than Jaceris. It's not a fair fight at all. So, anyways, they start sparring, and it's pretty clear who, you know, is stronger, just older and bigger. It's just not really a fair fight, but it's really cool because Jaceris does get to the point where he does come back swinging and, and gets uh, uh, Aegon on his back foot and, and kind of gives him a little bit of a, of a challenge there. And then they end up breaking it up and Chris and Cole takes Aegon to one side. Harwin takes Jaceris to one side. And they give each other, like, uh, advice to go back for round two. So anyways, round two starts. And then uh, Aegon ends up knocking Jaceris to the ground. And Chris and Cole tells him to stay on the attack, not to let him up. And so he's just swinging down at him. And Jaceris is doing all he can not to get fucking butchered by this damn wooden sword. And finally, uh, Harwin, Sir Harwin has enough and grabs Aegon and pulls him off with the sword there. And Aegon freaks out. He's like, ah, oh, you dare touch me? Ah! <laughs> like, all this. And, you know, this whole time, Viserys is up with Lionel Strong watching down on this. And this is a big moment here because, obviously, Lionel Strong is Sir Harwin Strong's father. And so they're watching this whole thing happen. And, obviously, it's, it's not usual for someone to interrupt the training session. You know, and, and cares so much about one of the individuals. And Chris and Cole basically says as much. He, him and uh, Sir Harwin have a little back and forth. So this is what Harwin says to Chris and Cole. He says, Is this what you teach, Cole? Cruelty to the weaker opponent? And Chris and Cole says, Your interest in the Princeling's training is quite unusual, Commander. Most men would only have that kind of devotion toward a cousin or a brother. Or a son. And at that point, <laughs> Sir Harwin loses his shit and knocks Chris and Cole to the ground, punches him in the face, and just repeatedly is pummeling him until the guards pull him off. And while the guards pull him off, he's like trying to say it again! Say it again! <laughs> like trying to get back at Chris and Cole. <laughs> and the whole, this is a whole problem now because he just made a spectacle in this courtyard in front of everyone. And any, whatever these dark rumors were that. You know, it wasn't coming to light so much. There was little whispers here and there, but uh, he does. Everyone just saw him lose his shit over like that sentence that Chris and Cole said. So you really kind of put yourself in a bad spot here, Sir Harwin. In any event, continuing on, the scene moves and Rhaenyra is informed of what happened, and so she goes to see Harwin. And he act and before she gets to him, she overhears Harwin and his father Lionel. Again, Lionel is the hand of the king. They're arguing with each other, father and son. Lionel Strong and Harwin Strong are arguing. Lionel says, you have laid us open to accusations of an uglier treachery. And Harwin says, and what treachery is that? Lionel responds, don't play the fool with me, boy. Your intimacy with the Princess Rhaenyra is an offense that would mean exile and death. For you, for her, for the children. To which Harwin responds, it is rumor only, spun by the princess's rivals. And Lionel's not taking any of his shit. He says, people have eyes, boy. Yet his grace, the king, it seems, will not accept what his eyes see. This flimsy shield alone stands between you and the headsman. The willful blindness of a father towards his child. And Harwin responds back, I wish my father affected a similar blindness. To which Lionel says, have I not these many years? And yet today, you publicly assaulted a knight of the Kingsguard in the, in the defense of your... And then Harwin cuts him off and says, You have your honor, and I have mine. And at that point, the scene shifts to Rhaenyra, and she's back in her quarters. And then, you know, she's kind of sore from the afterbirth, and trying to think, like the, the milk from her, like, whatever, is just kind of seeping through. Just the you know, normal post birth issues are, are kind of happening with Rhaenyra. And at this point, Lenor and Carl come in. They're drunk, they're having a grand old time, and. Uh, you know, I, I said that like it seems that Lenor has a new boo thing. It seems like Carl's is his new Joffrey lawnmouth. You know, that's that's what it seems like. But 
Anyways, Lenor is all excited because war is afoot in the Stepstones again, and the Triarchy formed an alliance with Dorne, so he wants a battle to liven things up, and Rhaenyra is, is fucking pissed. She's, she's like, dude, what the fuck, man? Do you have any idea what's going on? You have no clue what's going on. So this is, she ends up having this argument with him and talks to him. Rhaenyra says, Dark rumors are hunting us, Lenor. They nip at our heels. Questions about our son's parentage. Vile, disgusting insinuations. And Lenor responds, insinuations, are they? And Rhaenyra says, they are our sons, yours and mine. And their true father won't abandon them now to go carousing through the narrow sea, waggling his sword and winking at his sailors. And Lenor says, I am a knight and a warrior, and I have played my part here faithfully for ten years. I am owed some, and Rhaenyra cuts him off, you are owed nothing. For ten years you have <laughs> indulged yourself at court. Bought the finest horses, drunk the rarest of the wines, fucked the lustiest boys. That was our agreement, and I have not begrudged you. But you do not desert your post when the storm lashes. And Lenor says, The wise sailor flees the storm as it gathers. And Rhaenyra says, Very well then. I command you as your princess and heir to the throne. You are commanded to remain in King's Landing and at my side. So she just pulled rank on his bitch ass, bro. Like she said, oh, word. You try <laughs> yeah. to make, she's like, I'm trying to have a discussion with you and come to like a mutual agreement, but you're going to tell me what you deserve? Well, guess what? Now this is what you deserve because you ain't going nowhere. <laughs> I'm the princess. I'm the heir to this whole shit and you're going to do what I say and now you're stuck. So I don't know. What did you think about that? Yeah, she just straight up pulled rank and rightfully so, dude. He's, he's just wanting to go live the glory days again and go right off into battle and you know, go board his ship with, uh, in the words of Viserys, laughing with your whores and your lip spittles. <laughs> That's exactly what's going on. Uh, and yeah, I mean, and rightfully so. I mean, Rhaenyra is having to raise all the children, and she's dealing with all the rumors that are back and forth while trying to hold her position in the realm. And usually, you know, when you're married, especially if it's uh, even a if it's a political marriage an arrangement you know your job you have roles in that or you help each other out it's not a one one person show and that's what Lenor is doing you know he's kind of like this stay at home dad i would say <laughs> you know stay at home dad and now he's trying to ride off into glory and take a vacation and leave her doing the dirty work and that's just not cool so yeah i like it i, I i'm all for it awesome at this point, the scene moves to Damon and Lena, and Lena's daughter, she's trying to hatch one of the dragon eggs. Lena comes in and tells her that it's been eight years, and most of the time, half the dragon's eggs don't hatch. And that she herself, Lena, didn't get a dragon until she was 15 years old, and now she rides Vagar, the largest dragon in the world. Really important there that we notate that Vagar is currently the largest dragon in the world. Maybe largest known dragon. Maybe there are some that are wild that haven't been found yet. But as, as far as we are meant to believe, Vagar is the largest dragon in the world. Then the scene moves to Damon. And he's outside. And Lena goes to join him and tells him that Lenor has written and that Rhaenyra has another son. And Damon makes this joke asking if this one also looks like the commander of the City Watch. So it seems like most people know what's going on here. You know, he hasn't been there. He's been in Pentos for 10 years, but apparently he's heard enough about it. I find that hilarious. I mean, even that's like, a, how the hell did he know that they look similar? I don't know, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> at this point, Damon and Lena argue about their time in Pentos. Lena tries to get through to him, telling Damon again that he's more than a glorified mercenary. That, that you know, we're like the person I knew was more than this. You were more like, like let's go be who we were meant to be. And you know, it seems she seems to have gotten through to Damon a little bit. Like he's kind of contemplating or whatever because. He was, she was accusing him, like, hey, like you say you want this life here and that it's all chill, but you've never once gone into the city. You don't know any of the people. You stay up here and you read these books about historians and all these other accountings of other people that have came before, you know, like all these other dragon riders with their deeds. Like, you don't care about this place. Like, why, what the hell are we doing here? Anyways, at this point, the scene moves to a small council meeting. And they are discussing current happenings in the kingdom. And you can kind of see who's at odds with who. And it seems like... Rhaenyra and Allison just can never really get on the same page. You know, so they end up closing up shop on this meeting, but before they all leave, Rhaenyra has something more to say. And this is one of the things like I was talking about, and I've alluded to this a few times throughout the series. Anytime Rhaenyra gets herself into a bind that she's worried she can't get out of, 
she just is really shady about how she handles it and tries to play the victim in a way. And so I'm going to go ahead and, and read what Rhaenyra and, and uh, these other people's dialogue is. I'm going to start here with Rhaenyra. It says, she tells everyone, and she's kind of directing these words at Allison specifically. She says, I have felt the strife between our families of late, my queen. And for any offense given by mine, I apologize. But we are one house, and long before that, we were friends. My son Jaceris will inherit the Iron Throne after me. I propose we betroth him to your daughter Helena, ally ourselves once and for all, and let them rule together. To which this makes Viserys very happy. He says, a most judicious proposition. And Allison scoffs. Like she, like she makes like a, like, you know, a little scoffing at the notion. And at this point, Rhaenyra says, additionally, if Cyrax brings forth another clutch of eggs, your son Aemond will have his choice of them, a symbol of our goodwill. And Allison looks at her, looks through all the bullshit, and says, the, <laughs> the king and I thank you for your offer, and we will consider it duly. And then the meeting ends with no clear answer about where we're going to go from here in that, the proposal. So then, as they're walking, Allison is talking to Viserys. She says, how sweetly the fox speaks when it's been cornered by the hounds. And Viserys tells her, she is sincere. Allison says, no, she is desperate. She feels the earth washing away beneath her feet, and now she expects us to ignore her transgressions and for me to marry my only daughter to one of her plain-featured sons. <laughs> and Viserys responds, The proposal is a good one, my queen. We're a family. Let us put aside these childish quarrels. Join hands and be stronger for it. And Allison says, You may do as you wish, husband, when I am cold in my grave. <laughs> And then she like walks off. <laughs> she like, walks off disrespectfully, and I don't even know if she's allowed to do that like to the king in front of these others. She just you know marches off on her own in a little, a little fuss. But anyways, but they get back to the king's quarters, and she's trying to make sure that Viserys is comfortable, putting pillows behind him, putting blankets on him. There's a little bit of tension there because of the argument they just had. And anyways, they get back there, and Lionel Strong, the hand of the king, comes to see Viserys. And what happens here is Lionel tries to resign from his position as Hand of the King. He tells the king there's a shadow over his house. And Allison tries to goad him into confirming the rumors about his son Harwin being the father of Rhaenyra's children. But Lionel doesn't take the bait. And also the king does not accept his resignation. And Lionel is to remain Hand. At this point though, Lionel does ask the king for leave to escort Harwin back to the family seat at Harrenhal under the pretense of Harwin being his heir to Harrenhal and that he's going to be the lord of the castle and he needs to start assuming his duties there. And the king grants him this leave to take Harwin back to Harrenhal. Allison, she's all pissed and walks off and storms off like she normally does, so it makes sense. But uh, at this point, Allison attends a private dinner with Lord Loras. Loras Strong. So, just going to put that out there again. <laughs> like We got... You know, it seems that we've got people working against each other in our own families. They'd be the ones closest to you. But anyways, she debriefs Laris about what happened with Lionel, how he's going back to Heron Hall, and he's going to continue to serve his hand. And they start going back and forth. And I also found this interesting because I'm starting to see, like, from the mind of Allison, what it feels like to her when no one's taking her side. Because Laris tells her, you cannot say, my queen, that your father would be impartial in this matter and that is in response to basically them saying that Lionel is partial towards Harwin because Harwin's his son. But anyways, Allison replies, and this is the important quote here. She replies, no, but he would be partial to me. In all of King's Landing, is there no one to take my side? And I thought that was pretty cool and powerful. But anyways, the scene does shift at this point. And we're going down to the dungeons. And all the prisoners are inside the dungeons. And... Loras approaches them and tries to make a deal. It does make a deal. Uh, he ends up sparing them death by hanging for a favor. And also one price to pay for this favor and having them freed is that he's having their tongues removed so they could never speak about said favor. Very, very smart move by Loras here. And, he, and then at this point, you see this really gruesome image of you know them holding the head down by the block and pulling the tongue out with some tweezers and like a hot blade running through the tongue. It was really gross, but 
you know that yeah, that's that's Game of Thrones for you. That's House of the Dragon for you. Like <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> so at this point, the scene moves back to Pentos, and Lena is trying to give birth to the child, but it's not working. The Maester even comes up to Damon and he says, I, "I I've reached the limit of my arts. The child will not come, and so they don't know what to do anymore." And the Maester tells them what they can do is try to cut the baby out. Very similar, almost like a full circle moment yeah. to when they were gonna cut out uh, Balon or Balor from. Emma's womb back in episode one, and Damon asks if you know the mother would survive it, and the Maester says no. So, what ends up happening is Lena takes it all into her own hands. She walks outside to Vagar and tells Vagar the key word Dracaris so that she will die at the Dragon Rider's death, like she wanted, right? It takes a few tries. She says it about three or four times and gets super desperate. And she cries out like the you can hear the pain in her voice. Like she just wants it to be over. And you know, finally, Vagar uh, does what she asks and uh, eventually burns and kills Lena Valarian. So she is no longer in the picture. And what does that do? Frees up Damon for the third time with him to be able to <laughs> kind of go a step further. You know, he went from Rhea Royce to. Lena Valarian, and we're going to see where he goes next and if it's another step up or not in terms of power. But anyways, at this point in time, the scene moves back to King's Landing with Sir Harwin saying his goodbyes to Rhaenyra, Jaceris, Lucerys, and the baby Joffrey. And I thought this was really funny. Not funny, but just ironic and not to give anything away. I know it kind of ruins it, but I'm assuming that it's not a huge, huge reveal. But Harwin says to Jaceris, I will return. I promise. I'm like, oh, word, will you? <laughs> but I thought that was really interesting, so I just, I just wanted to put that out there. He made a promise to return, and we're going to see if he uh, ever holds, <laughs> holds true to that promise there. Yeah, <laughs> right. At this point, Harwin takes his leave, and as he walks off, and they go, you know, Jaceris walks to the hallway, Rhaenyra follows him out, and Jaceris looks at his mother, Rhaenyra, and asks, is Harwin Strong my father? Am I a bastard? And Rhaenyra, again, queen of avoidance, she says, you are a Targaryen. That's all that matters. <laughs> so she's not, <laughs> she's not confirming or denying the same thing I was on last week. You know, she won't lie, but she will not tell the full truth. Like, she just seems to have this kind of mentality, and this is her personality trait. Like, you know, she's been doing this since episode one. Do whatever it takes to, to make herself still seem in a good light, but not really tell the full truth. Anyways... At this point, the scene shifts to Lenor and Carl, and they're sparring in the training yard. And Rhaenyra approaches and tells Lenor that they are leaving. And he asks about the proposal that she made to wed Jaceris to Helena. And Rhaenyra tells him that she's been undermined and that they're leaving the Dragonstone. And what's kind of cool, too, is that uh, she allows him to bring Carl with him. But really funny issue right here is that she repeats the words that Lenor said to her right back to him. She says... The word the wise sailor flees as a storm musters. So like that, you know, she was kind of a little nod back to him and what he said, you know, not too long before that. So thought that was pretty cool. But anyways, the scene moves to Harwin and Lionel Strong with their retinue leaving the city, and the criminals that Laris made a deal with are watching them in the distance on horses. And then it cuts to nighttime, and we see that Lionel Strong is sleeping in his bed and he starts coughing, and we see the room filling up with this black smoke and then we see in the corner there's a, there's a fire and he he ends up waking up and realizing that oh shit like we're in trouble here and he hears Harwin banging on the door on the other side and you know screaming in pain and trying to get through because he tries to touch the door and it's it's on fire so like ah it burns him and they, he tries to like crowbar it open and they're banging on it and it looks like the door's just been sealed and they can't get out either Harwin or Lionel and before you kind of figure out what happens as everything's burning. The scene then moves to Rhaenyra and Lenor with her sons, with their sons, you know, their quote unquote <laughs> the sons, um, arriving on Dragonstone. At this point in time, they, there's this haunting narration by Loras as the scenes kind of move from one scene to the next scene. And I found it really cool because the scene shifts from Dragonstone to the king Viserys and he's sitting there in his area and then you see the ashes and finally the burnt bodies of the Strongs and so we realize that Sir Harwin and Lionel Strong are dead so sorry Viserys the promise was not kept he will not return (laughs) 
very sad. But anyways, at, and then this point here, the scene moves to you know that that narration that we were talking about with Lars. He's finishing that narration, and he's speaking to Allison. That comes to the realization that Lars had Lionel and Harwin killed, and she says, "Lars, I did not wish for this." And Lars replies, "I feel certain you will reward me when the time is right." And that's how the episode closes out. And that's what I have on my end there. Did I miss anything? Do you have anything you want to add? How do you do there? No, it was good. I just thought it was ironic because usually, uh, you know, uh, you're the guy that's like, not until I see the body. And then there at the end, you see the body. <laughs> it's like, well, fuck, man. That's it. But uh, no, that was 100%. Um, in terms of my takeaways, I, I thought it was a great episode. Um you it was interesting the time jump i thought they did it really well uh with the way they did that and the way they still kept everything moving but also kept you informed with everything that's kind of been going on the past 10 years um i i I think you really start to kind of see uh the difference here with Alicent in the high towers being closer to the Sept of Baylor because how offensive she still takes it with uh, you know how Rhaenyra this isn't just her first son being a bastard <laughs> so and how offensive she takes that um, also you do kind of see how you know Rhaenyra in a way yes manipulative manipulative but she tries to kind of um salvage i guess a little bit of what they had in the past here at that council meeting so uh it's a little bit of back and forth but it you know this part of in here it, it definitely shows with larry's definitely being he kind of is a snake <laughs> very conniving i will say plays a large role in this friendship in these two family alliances uh, are starting, and I, I want to put the emphasis on families here, are starting to have a lot of controversy between each other. Um, and I, I thought it was really cool seeing Vagar on screen. for That thing's a fucking behemoth, man. And it was really cool seeing how the full circle moment with uh, Lena Valerian, and you kind of had the moment from Princess, uh, well, Queen Emma in the beginning, where they had to, you know, Balon uh, died, and they were kind of having the same situation here. But you saw a little bit more of humanity from Damon. I feel like he did actually care for Lena Valerian versus, you know, his first wife. <laughs> he would rather fuck sheep. So <laughs> I think uh, I think it was good, but it was. Uh, interesting the communication between Vagar and Lena and then he burned her alive almost kind of reminded me a little bit of like the Iron Throne room in the last episode of season eight with Danny and John and 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 Drogon about to burn John there but instead it was interesting because it was uh her actual writer um and then you know it it all leaves off on that big cliffhanger there, which definitely is kind of not exactly uh, the most happy ending <laughs> at the end of this episode. So it was great. I'm going to give the episode, it didn't have like a whole lot of action, but the writing was really do- well done. And I thought they smoothly transitioned with that time jump. I'm going to give it a 9.5. I thought it was good. What about you? Yeah, I, I thought it was really good as well. And I, what I'll say too, I will take Allison's side in this fact. I do believe that the whole Rhaenyra attempting to patch up some things and apologize, that was because she was desperate. Like she realized the walls were closing in and she was screwed. So she had to, to try to weasel her way out of it like she always does. And so and to that effect, I do agree with, with Allison on that one. Uh, but I do think overall... This episode, and I remember when I watched it in my head, because I knew people were going to probably have an issue with the actor-actress's changes, but in my mind, this was the most important episode up to this point, you know, of all of them, because this is where the, you, like these splits are happening. You have the whole political side of the deal where these children who are supposed to be the heir 
to the Iron Throne, at least one of them, you know, but it could be either of the three at this point. You know, let's say, you know, Jaceris dies early of an accident or is killed. Same thing with Lucerus. It could be Joffrey. Any of these three of Rhaenyra's children are supposed to be in line for this throne. But issue is, is they're not, they're, they're bastards. They're bastard children. They were followed by someone who is not her husband. You know, I know it sounds harsh to hear, but that's just a fact. That is the facts of the situation. Yeah. But if Sir Harwin Strong fathered those children, and she is not married to Sir Harwin Strong. So, you know, it's, we, we got to see the, the political side of stuff come back around. And then we are having this whole deal, because remember, Lionel Strong is the hand of the king. And at the end of this whole ordeal, the end of this episode, Laris has Harwin and his own father, his own father and his own brother had killed. He pulled some scar from the Lion King shit and turned on his own brother, man. Like, that's <laughs> yeah, crazy. That's fucked up. Yeah, dude. It's, it, it, it did suck. So he had his own father and his own brother killed. And, and you know, he's going to end up having this special relationship with the queen now for it. And maybe she will use him, utilize him in other areas. And maybe he made himself indispensable and in kind of creating his own way. But definitely in a snake-like manner. Definitely no, no honor there. But so now, what, what are we at? We are without a hand of the king. Lionel Strong's dead. What are yeah. we going to do? And we're going to find out what ends up happening next week. right? So it's just one, this is one of these episodes where a lot of big things happen here. Uh, we have the, the, the people questioning the Strongs. He had that, you know, Harwin had that big outburst in, in the courtyard and fighting Chris and Cole when he said the words like that to really kind of put them on, in a bad spot. You know, if everyone just kind of kept their cool, they could have just played it off like it's no big deal. But he lost his cool there and things, like I said, Rhaenyra was feeling the walls closing in, and she tries to make a, a gunshot deal real quick to kind of get her ass to safety. And and Allison, she saw right through that shit, even though Viserys was eating it up, uh, not her. And and then on the other side too, we we're talking about the dragons. Yeah, we got to see Vagar on screen for the first time. Beautiful dragon. She is gorgeous and, and large, and that's going to be a problem to deal with if it comes to it uh, in, in any sort of conflict. And then all, on top of that, we get to see the whole joining and unions of potential dragon riders with their dragons, like Vermax being brought before Jaceris and the, the commands and how they transition to, you know, this dragon is under my control and, and we, you know, this, I, I'm the dragon rider here for, for this one. thought that was excellent. And then on top of that, we were having these big foreshadow moments with Aemon and then picking on Aemon with this pig. And, and it's going to come in, to, like you mentioned, it's going to come into play a few times throughout the remaining episodes of this damn pig thing haunting Aemon as it go further. But at the end of the day, you know, who knows who's going to have the last laugh in that situation because Aemon's without a dragon now, but I will say he is not without a dragon long. <laughs> and uh, So, so many things are set up here, but so many big moments happen here too. It was a good combination of the two. So I do I do think it was, it was a really good episode. Not really many things I could poke holes into uh, you know it, it, last week we had the interesting discussion about Chris and Cole and how he got away with murder at the wedding and you know I didn't really find any moments like that here the only thing I could maybe say is just like they made this proposal and nothing ever came of it and you know, they just she said it and then everyone pretended like it never happened and as it goes further in the future we can discuss that in a little bit but you know I, I agree there's no real glaring like plot holes or stuff down like wow this just makes no sense you know it all kind of made sense I and mean, now we even got to have a little bit of essos involved we were in pentos over there they were trying to get the targaryens on their side talking about damon and, and lena but regardless like they were gonna offer them good the, the lands and gold for their help in the battle against least which is joined with the mart like the, the martels of dorn and so now we've got maybe that little aspect coming into play here and just so many things happen, like I said, both presently and set up for the future. That it was to this point, I think the best episode they put out, and I had no issue with the actor and actress changes at all. I didn't think it was a problem. It was not something that's supposed to be inspiring or not inspiring or whatever. It just it was a continuation of a story, and I believe that they picked up and 
they really built off of the animosity that was held at that wedding and they did a great job of carrying that through Renard to where you know they're not friends but they're doing the whole political you know saving face for the realm making it seem like they're working together but they are at odds and you can tell and I think they did a great job portraying it so yeah I'm gonna go ahead and, and give it you know a 9.6 I know last week I, I started a 9.6 and I knocked it to a 9.4 uh, for episode five, because like that little bit of an issue I had at the end of the wedding, this one I'm gonna stick at a 9.6. I do think it, to this point it was the the best episode, well written, cool action. You get to see little sparring partners with the boys, and you know that how overpowered they are by their older cousin, a- Aegon, and that could you know play a role in certain things later on too. So, uh, yeah, I, that's what I, that's what my takeaways are. I, I do know you want to go ahead and kick us off with your debate or debates for the day yeah i got one debate and it's not as much really like um a debate but really more of like your opinion on things so the way i see it so i'm not really sitting on any side but take it into account this exact situation let's think of just this exact scenario take everyone else out of it besides rhaenyra and Alicent, uh, Rhaenyra and Alicent, um, and just with the sake of the bastards and Harmon Strong, and we know that's not uh, that's not a good look <laughs> for the realm at all. We can even take out of like the history from the past, take out all that stuff from Damon and everything going on. Look at just from this situation, um, from Rhaenyra's perspective. She is the heir to the throne, just like she said in previous episodes. You know, if she was a boy, she could father a thousand bastards and no one would blink an eye. Now, it's a big deal because people, just like Lionel Strong said, people have eyes. People clearly know what's going on. And it's not just one or two, like the Jon Snow being one. You have three now and you're continuing on with what you have it's not like you just stopped and we're like okay we're gonna see what we're gonna do no you're continuing to have children in this line that are clearly not from a true line here which is a big political problem for the realm which is also where Alicent has an issue because like i said you know they're more the high towers are a lot more religious on that side So Allison, in my opinion, is kind of seeing it even more as like a slap in the face and a problem to the realm. Whose kind of side are you taking here? Are you taking it more of, you know, Allison has a right to be unhappy with this situation and something should be done about it or no one should give a shit because you know, Rhaenyra is the heir, so she can do whatever she wants, so no one should second guess whether she claims that they're true-born sons or not. So I'm a little bit stuck in the middle on this one. I don't think I like either of those options you presented me. Uh, Mm -hmm. I, I would kind of, my ideal situation, and I don't know how we would get to this resolution, but I just think she needs one child fathered by Lenor Valarian. Like, actual ones. Yeah. I don't care if you gotta bring in whoever you gotta bring in to get things started and when things are about to climax, she jumps on and whatever you gotta do. I think we need one child between Lenor and... and uh, one, that, one that you can absolutely tell between Lenor and Rhaenyra where there's no question at all. Because then... All questions are finished. It could be like, oh my goodness, there was three of them, but like, here's one here, so they must have been, you know, they, there's no chance that they could be bastards. And it was just the way genetics played out because now we've got one that looks just like Lanor Valarian or an easy, obviously you can tell as a descendant of Lanor. That's what I think probably could have solved everything. Because then at yeah. that point, like, it's not like you have to disinherit Jaceris or anything because people will probably believe, like, okay, well, I guess this is just the way genetics played out. And, you know, of the four children, this is the one that came out looking like the dad. You know, I think that's an easier sell to the people than just having three that look directly like <laughs> Harwin Strong and never doing anything about it. So I think that's definitely a way that would have made more sense on that end. I definitely think Allison has right to be upset because it's almost like making a mockery of the realm and, and, and tradition and all that they've, they've strived to keep together. I don't think she's got a reason to be upset in terms of lineage-wise because... 
Viserys made it very clear Rhaenyra is going to be the queen. You know, yeah. that's the whole that, that that's where I don't agree with Allison, where she like if she starts pushing for Aegon to become king, which is it, you know, she had that conversation that with Aegon earlier that I just went over about like, hey, like, everyone in their blood and their bones know that you're going to be our king. Well, that's the thing I don't agree with is the, her pushing that agenda. What I do agree with her is like I also don't agree with what Rhaenyra is doing either. So I definitely think somewhere smack dab in the middle would be a really good easy fix. Go ahead and figure out what you got to figure out, Lenor, to to perform to the abilities to make a child with with Rhaenyra. But that would end all all questions, and that would kind of be the way to go about it. I think so. That's my thought. And like, shoot, if she was smart, and I'm not saying that, that she should have done this, but if in, in my head. There's other Valarians on, on Driftmark. Get another one, maybe Uncle Vaymond, who it seems like he's up for some rapscallion <laughs> behavior to do the job if Lainor wasn't going to do it. Swear him all the secrecy, because Lord Corlys doesn't give a fuck. He's like, as long as my yeah. blood is on the is on the lineage here, I don't give a shit what happens, you know? He was totally okay like, with... I don't want to give anything away, but he was he was not uh, you know displeased at all with Lucerus and Jaceris, so... I'll just say that, uh, you know, I think we could have gone about this a few different ways, and I think everyone went about it wrong, and that's kind of where I stand on on that. Yeah, I agree with you, a hundred percent. I think the problem you have here is now it's almost even looking like a slap in the face to the Valyrians because it's looking like her dad proposed this marriage just to rekindle what alliance they had. And really didn't care about their family line which that goes more into episodes in the future we'll get into but uh, on the side of Allison's with them being so religious it's kind of um, it's more like rubbing it in I guess for everything that's happened over the years but also could be an argument that saying she's just in the words of the series from episodes ago you're the political problem (laughs) like you're the reason like the realm can't get along so then you start to wonder whether you are fit to rule later on or if you're going to cause more of a problem but i do agree with you as far as the air thing she shouldn't have been preparing Aegon to rule but yeah i think that's the answer you should have probably gone to uncle vayman you know uncle vayman seems like he's been all alone for a while <laughs> so or uh, even corley's man i mean he was talking all that stuff just talk to rainies and work something out i don't know <laughs> who knows but no it's a great idea so that was just my debate for the day but i agree with you what about yours mine today revolves around what would happen if the proposal that rhaenyra made at the small council meeting stuck and it held would that solve all the problems would they be one big happy family or do we think there'd be some in-house treachery still to this point if they married Jaceris to Helena great question I think there the answer to that in my opinion is one it would never happen because Allison wouldn't allow that to happen because she knows those children are bastards so it's an insult to the high towers because she knows they're not true descendants of Targaryens and they're so religiously affiliated. But do I think it would rekindle anything? It would try, but then you would still have a stain on the High Tower's name, knowing they're not directly related to. Uh, they're not both blood, pure bloodlines at that point. So. It would cause a big problem with Otto, <laughs> which, well, not to give anything away, but I think it would cause a big problem with the Hightower line, in my opinion. Uh, but I think it would rekindle maybe some of it because it was a good gesture, but in the end, the resolution wouldn't get the outcome you desire. I think everything would still wind up being the same as it happens my answer to that I get you Um, you know there's just a few things I would shift about the way you answered that just because I don't necessarily know and like this is this is the hard part right because if if you marry 
Helena and Jaceris, like the king is the one that has the final say, not the queen. I know Allison, you can say Allison won't let that happen, but Viserys would be like, because you can tell Viserys is all about these. Like, what a, like, a judicious proposition. You know, you, this sounds great to me. He's the king. So yeah, like yeah. like here's the thing like I know nothing he can just he can pull rank on all these motherfuckers he's like so mm-hmm. it's just at that point but then you leave it open to okay well now do we have to assassinate the king so this doesn't happen you know it kind of plays into like, now we got this real Game of Thronesy thing going on at yeah. this point if yeah. if that's what happens and we agree to wed Jaceris to Helena and you know that that's the whole deal is that i do think you're on the right track when you say allison wouldn't let it happen but it wouldn't be because like she has any say in it it's because she probably is going to end up having to pull some trickery with her dad and pops and try to get old man viserys out of there and then when old man viserys is out of there now we've got a little bit of room to work with but still going to be a problem because it's still going to end up like you said i do agree with your conclusion it still all ends up where it ends up you know the whole the whole conflict does still rise to the to where you know the the big conflict seems like it's going for the way the show was written now i think that both children's lives would probably be in danger from both sides you know and and at that point we see what happens when kids get involved in certain i certain uh, conflicts that they shouldn't and i'm not going to give anything away there or, or nothing but point being is that i agree with you to the effect that i don't think much changes in the long run i think uh, you know, it might look good for the realm. It might keep things balanced there. And oh, great! You know, the the princess. So now, and it, from the outside, it looks like cool. We we've pleased everybody. You know, the if Jaceris and Helena have a son, well, now we've got that firstborn. It's an easy heir, easy sell to the realm because we got a Valarian Targaryen with a High Tower Targaryen, and they go together. And so this, you know, again, they're two pure bloodlines match and have it but but you know knowing what we know and you know allison knowing what she knows it it makes it for a dangerous pairing and a dangerous union for for both kids involved i think both for helena and jaceris because you know anything can happen then you got that sneaky guy loris in the background you know what he's capable of so if he needed to get someone out of there he could he could cause a lot of damage and uh he i don't want to give too much away but there's times where you know that they are not opposed to harming children to get to an end goal. And that's all I'll say uh, on that. And I, the, the, the big reoccurring theme is, is that it'd be a good gesture. It would look good to the realm outwardly. Internally, there would still be strife, still be fights, and people's lives would be in danger. And I think we still end up with the big conflict that we, we have as the story is written now. Yeah, I think so too. I think in a way, it also might even bring more animosity to the Valyrians at that point. Um, makes me wonder about that based on stuff that happens later on. Uh, I think the answer was just like you were saying, it could also be an answer to this. I think the only way to answer to really fix what's going on is Rhaenyra should have gotten with someone, some other Valyrian that could do the job, I guess. Yeah, in the end, Damon could. Damon was the only one that really could have saved <laughs> the realm here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, yeah. it's funny, and not to give anything too much away for that situation, because we, you know, Damon's had his run through of wives who haven't made it throughout the season, but there could maybe potentially be uh, some pure blood Targaryens down the line. I'll say I'm not going to go no too much further there, but my my point is is that. I, I don't think that the Valarians would cause much of an issue because Corlys doesn't seem like he cares. Corlys just cares about there's the name Valarian on the back of these kids' names. So as long as there's Jaceris Valarian and Lucerus Valarian and Joffrey Valarian, I think he's fine. I don't think he necessarily cares. I don't think he takes it as an insult because he, they, he, they, they, he knows the rumors and he don't care. He's like, it's names that people remember. So that and like that's where him and his brother Vaymon kind of butt heads on things because Vaymon's like no like it's not just the name we are a, a proud group of people who have survived the doom of Valyria we are we are just as important as the Targaryen line and you're not gonna muddle that down and pretend everything's all good and that's why you know Vaymon has his moment that he has later on and that we you know we won't need to get into but I don't think it causes much of a strife with House Valarian at least in the short term. Uh, with with like cordless or anything because I don't I just don't think he cares and you know, he kind of shows that he doesn't care <laughs> but that that's my yeah. that's my takeaway on that yeah no good call 
yeah you want to close this out for the day absolutely guys so if this is your first time tuning into this welcome we really hope you enjoyed what you heard and for those who have stuck around from the beginning thank you so much for being the shields that guard the realms of fantasy if you're trying to figure out where you can find us on social media where you can go ahead and click like subscribe follow us leave comments we are on instagram at official ridiculous patronus on tiktok at ridiculous patronus we have a backup instagram at fact underscore or underscore fantasy a backup tiktok at fact underscore or underscore fantasy we are on uh facebook at chase and josh factor fantasy we have our own website ridiculouspatronus.blogspot.com youtube ridiculous patronus twitter rp factor fantasy snapchat rp factor fantasy and then when it comes to the podcast itself and listening to the content that we put out if you are an apple user we are on itunes we're on apple podcast if you're an android user we are on google play we're on spotify we're on amazon music we're on audible we're on iheart radio we're on podbean we're on stitcher we're on acast wherever you get your podcast chase and josh factor fantasy are there but we are out for the day because you know this has been another ridiculous production chase and josh factor fantasy Signing off.